Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. I began to see that in my community of whiteness and of affluence, there were rates of anxiety and substance abuse and depression that were the same, if not greater, than the general population. I started to see that privilege in and of itself was isolating and that privilege harmed those who were excluded from it, as well as those who were in the center of it. The good news is that we as a culture, I think, are waking up to this harm. And the good news for those of us who are followers of Jesus is that Jesus shows us a way towards healing. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. Gabe will join us later in the show. This weekend is Martin Luther King weekend. Many take the time to focus on issues of race, discrimination, and ethnic harmony. Now, these issues have long been a part of the discussions at Q. And that has meant listening in, sometimes to conversations and ideas we might be uncomfortable with. The topic of privilege is one of those uncomfortable terms we'll talk about later. First, though, on today's show, let's listen to a conversation between Gabe and Christian hip-hop artist Lecrae. Lecrae enjoyed a growing music ministry, speaking and performing at many events in the evangelical world. But then, in 2014, after the shootings in Ferguson, Missouri, Lecrae spoke out about his personal experiences with racism. Suddenly, he got pushback from many who felt uncomfortable with what he had to say. Why? Well, let's listen in on the conversation a few years ago at a Q conference between Gabe and Lecrae. Well, Lecrae, I think um, this is something heavy on people's hearts. It's heavy on people's minds. You've been thinking about it a lot longer than a lot of people probably even listening tonight. Um, when you first sensed and knew after Ferguson that this was erupting, yeah. um, you know, I remember you, you uh, tried to talk to some of your Christian community to say, hey, guys, something's happening here. Right. What are we going to do about this? Can you just kind of walk us through what your experience was like as a black man sure. trying to engage this topic for the first time? Yeah. Um, you know, so historically, obviously, I, I come from a pretty traditional African-American family background. Um, you know, found my faith, found a lot of uh, embrace and support within uh, white evangelicalism and, and those particular circles and uh, never really had much of a rub, never really had much of a conflict. People enjoyed my music, asked me to be a part of their conferences and everything else that was going on. And then in 2014, after the, the, the death of Michael Brown, um, I had some some concerns and some thoughts and some some things that I pointed out and the same love support and kind of uh you know cheering on that I had been consistently hearing turned into you know uh a visceral frustration and uh and people just did not understand why I was quote unquote rocking the boat and I and I think um, I just wanted you to like stay in your 
Absolutely. So stay in your lane. Yeah, stay in your lane. Don't talk about this stuff. Let's, let's, let's not talk about that. And I think for a lot of them, um, you know, we, we talked about it earlier, for a lot of them, they wanted me to keep the peace, and I'm more concerned with making peace. And making peace mm-hmm. causes us to disrupt some things. Yeah. Uh, keeping peace causes us to kind of keep a lid on stuff and let it kind of dissipate. But right. it wasn't as if I was trying to create something. It was I was trying to expose what was yeah. already created. Now, you've gone out actually in protest. You've been on the street. You've marched. Yep. You've said, look, this is important, and our voices need to be heard. For people who don't quite understand, like, why is protest so important? Well, um, and, and I think there needs to be a distinction between protest and riot, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're not the same thing. Martin Luther King once said riots are the voices of the unheard. And I think that those are people who don't know how else to express their pain or their frustration. Um, but, the, but a protest uh, is a way to say um, that I, I see something unjust mm-hmm. and I'm taking a stand against what I see is, is unjust. And, um, and I think when you want to see change in society, there's policy, there's publicity, there's programs. For a believer, there's prayer. Um, and part of that publicity is protesting, right? Part of that is making noise and saying we're discontent with what's happening right now. Yeah, well, yeah. I know um, there's a lot of people that have watched this happen over the last two years. And, and many times it's white people. Sure. And let's just be real. They, they look at the situation. They watch the videos. They go, man, if... If that person would have just respected the law officers, if they would have just done what they were told to do, this right. whole thing could have been avoided. But right. tell us more about what is the history between law enforcement and the African-American community that actually creates the tension that we're now sure. seeing flare up? Yeah, I think we are all um, confined to our experiences and our education. And uh, and so um, the experience for African-Americans in the law enforcement is a, is a long-standing one. Actually, policing in America began... Um, on slave plantations, and uh, the law enforcement was put there to make sure that slaves did not run away uh, and to make sure that an example was made for anyone who tried to escape and who tried to, uh, you know, veer off from doing what the, their owners told them to do. And that was how the whole establishment came to be uh, within the South. And, and so for, you know, centuries after, it was kind of a, a, a in, an infrastructure that was a fraternity of sorts for only uh, white males to be in control. And um, and so African-Americans weren't even allowed to have any kind of influence or say or sway in that whole situation. And so like I was saying, we're all confined to our experiences. And so most people, especially like my white friends, they've never had a negative experience with police. They're, they know police officers, police officers protect, they serve, they stand up for their rights. And so uh, they would have a critique on my perception right. of the infrastructure being fractured and the system being flawed uh, when my experience would be vastly different yeah. from their experience, uh, whereas I myself has been a victim of police brutality. I've been a victim of discrimination uh, by police. And, um, and so th- there's going to be varying, varying perspectives based off of your confined experience. In yeah, education. so there's a loss of trust. There's a total breakdown Absolutely. of respect. And so Absolutely. sometimes that just comes in a reaction yeah. of run, get away. Yeah, it's I not don't want to engage this. Exactly. It's not always an issue of noncompliance. Sometimes an issue of fear. You know, and I was taught as a child um, that, you know, that my life is in danger if I get pulled over by the police. So that, that was something that was instilled in me growing up as a child. And that's something that a lot of people don't recognize. And for somebody like a Philando Castro, Castro, he, he complied, you know, he didn't reach for a gun. He, he was sitting in the, in the passenger side of his seat. So. Well, and I know as an artist, I mean, you engage and you write lyrics and, and you're trying to do everything you can to share a prophetic vision for the world and how we ought to live and how we ought to engage 
Um, but even within your own community, I mean, it's just been interesting to see you, you really had something to say to the hip-hop community. I want to read a tweet that you put out yeah. um, over the last year where you said this, Dear hip-hop, we can't scream murder, misogyny, lawlessness in our music and then turn around and ask for equality and justice. Mm. What did you mean by that and, and how was that received amongst your friends? Yeah, so it's tough. Uh, I, what I'll say as a, as a caveat or to, to explain that statement is it's tough if you're, for an example, if there's an abused wife, right, and mm. she's abused by her husband, and in her abuse she begins to, uh, you know, pacify her pain with drug addiction. Mm. And now she is, you know, kind of screaming out against abuse, and abuse should never happen, abuse should never happen. Um, some people would chastise her and say, well, stop taking drugs. And I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong to say you're not allowed to talk about your abuse as long as you are participating in some illicit activity. So that's not what I meant in terms of like, you're not allowed to scream uh, inequality. But what I was frustrated at is uh, the consistent perpetuation of violence and misogyny and murder when we know there's an epidemic going on right now, when we know that we're, uh, our lives are being mowed down and, and, and uh, people are being treated unjustly. Let's not contribute to the apathy that I think the rest of America feels uh, when, they, when they listen to this song. It only helps contribute to the apathy that people are like, oh, what are you talking about? You know, you're, yeah. just look at what you're perpetuating. And yeah. so, you know, it was more of a challenge out of a frustration, like, come on, guys, we got a battle to fight here. Let's mm -hmm. not do that. So. Well, we talked about righteous anger, and, and I just want to know your perspective. I mean, what's the difference between anger? We see a lot of anger in the world that leads to people doing all kinds of activities and yeah. ways of responding. Yeah. But as people of faith, um, righteous anger. Like, yeah. like, what is righteous anger, and how, how would that be different than just the anger we see everywhere around us? Yeah. Um, you know, I watched uh, Hotel Rwanda, and I saw the things that were happening in Rwanda during that time period, and I boiled over with anger at what could happen. And that anger led me to jump on a plane and go uh, spend time in Africa serving and trying to help, uh, you know, uh, frail communities, right? Um, when people see uh, child abuse or molestation, they, they are boiled over with anger that says, this must stop and we must do something about it. And that's what I would call a righteous or a constructive anger. It's an anger that leads to, um, to, to healing and hope and, and, and rebuilding. Destructive anger is quite the opposite. Destructive anger seeks to, to take vengeance and vengeance is not what we're after, mm. right? Um, and so that's all, you know, justice without love, um, you know, looks more like vengeance, right? And yeah. so we want to see um, love coupled with that, with, with justice and, and constructive anger and righteous anger doing something about the ills we see in society. And finally, um, talk to us about the opportunity for the church. And I'm talking just Christians in general, the faith yeah. community. What is the opportunity maybe being presented to us in this moment? I, I think... Um, <clears throat> end of the day, um, race, race and ethnicity, a lot of times it's a social construct. Um, and it, and it's true. Um, however, there are cultures here, um, that are very divided, you know, regardless of skin color or whatever, there's just cultures that are divided. You go to Sunday service at a predominantly black church, predominantly white church on Sunday, this is worlds apart, right? Completely different. But there's, if there's any picture of how this type of cultural divide can be, uh, you know, unified in a unique way where the world looks upon it and says, what is this? I've never seen this, where 
genuine relationships are being built where people are having dinner across the table for one another where I need somebody who doesn't look like me not just a casual handshake not just a phone call not just I saw him at work or I saw him on Sunday but I need this person in my life everything begins to change you begin to have real conversations you begin to wrestle with their pain and and my pain becomes your pain Um, and what you see is unjust becomes unjust to me Uh, empathy begins to happen dialogue begins to happen and the genuine love and compassion that we see in stories like the Good Samaritan is fleshed out uh, in the here and now Gabe talking with Lecrae on this Martin Luther King weekend edition of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Hi, I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Now, the reason we're bringing up these topics this weekend isn't to beat anyone down. Instead, it has to do with advancing good. To do that, we need to stay curious, which means we have to listen carefully, even to stuff we might find painful to listen to. It's only then that we can think well and advance good. Gabe joins us now. And Gabe, in this next talk... We're going to use a word that might have some very uncomfortable, and that word is privilege. But it is also a word that can be so misunderstood. Now, this is a word that really has always been a part of our lexicon, but you look at the last three or four years, there's been a lot more discussion about this idea of what is privilege. Sometimes it's tied to the idea of white privilege, but it's the idea of what is privilege and how do you use privilege to benefit others? Is privilege a bad thing? How should we think about privilege? How do we enter into this conversation if it's one where you're thinking, hey, what's wrong with privilege? This is going to be one of those talks that I know challenges you and helps you think through that. It's called The Harm of Privilege. It was delivered by Amy Julia Becker. Amy Julia Becker's been around Q for a very long time, an incredible author, bestseller. She's a speaker, but what I love about Amy Julia and her husband and family is they're just amazing, number one. Number two, They have a daughter that has Down syndrome. And those of you who know me and have been around me, I now have two children with Down syndrome. And we just got to know them. And she has written some amazing books about just her journey with her daughter. Um, And to see her come around this particular topic and to think through what does this mean? She lives in the Northeast. She's very vulnerable about her own growing up in privilege and what she's learned as time's gone forward, as she's lived out her life. And asking us really what responsibilities come with privilege. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm not sure what setting you're in, what country you're in, but let's all just imagine for a minute, we do have privileges. There's unique privileges each of us carry. Now, how do we carry the responsibilities that come with that? Well, let's listen in now. I grew up in a small and functionally segregated town in Eastern North Carolina in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Caroline was an African-American woman in our town who worked in our home most days. And if I thought anything about that arrangement, it was simply that I loved her and she loved me. And I was grateful for that. We moved to Connecticut when I was 10 years old and my family stayed in touch with Caroline over those years. And many years later, Caroline was on the phone with my dad And she asked whether he might be willing to send her some money so that she could buy some glasses. She said she had stopped going to school when she was six years old. 
And in her retirement, she had decided she wanted to learn how to read. When I first heard that story from my dad, I thought it was beautiful because it spoke to Caroline's perseverance and tenacity and to my dad's graciousness and generosity and to the trust and respect that had built up between them. And then I saw myself as a child getting off the school bus and walking into my home with Caroline there to greet me and climbing into a chair in our living room with my nose in a book, which is what I did almost every day. And that same story that had been beautiful became tragic to me because she had been denied one of the things that I loved and that was deserved by her. It was a moment we now call waking up, waking up to privilege, to my own position as a white woman with educated and married parents and affluence and opportunity, waking up to the harm of exclusion of a person I loved being kept from what she deserved as someone growing up in this country. And we've seen in our country, especially among white people and white Christians, a sense of waking up to that harm of exclusion, whether that's in just our history, in our legal system, in our housing, in our education. We've been waking up to that harm. But then, 13 years ago, our daughter Penny was born. And Penny, too, was born into privilege. She was born into whiteness and wealth and affluence and education and married parents. And she also was born into exclusion because, as Gabe mentioned, she was diagnosed with Down syndrome right after she was born. And so at first, I thought my job as her mom was to get her included, was to get her into the center, was to get her to really know that privilege that she had. But over time, as I came to know Penny and as I came to know other people with intellectual disabilities, what I started to see was that there was harm happening in my culture of privilege. Not just the harm of exclusion, but the harm of a culture that says, I need to prove my worth as an individual. I need to achieve. I need to keep up appearances. I need to get it right all the time. Because my worth comes from what I do and from what I achieve. Penny and other people I knew with intellectual disabilities were showing me a way to live that had to do with love and with community and with not productivity, but people. And I wanted that. And I began to see that in my community of whiteness and of affluence, there were rates of anxiety and substance abuse and depression that were the same, if not greater, than the general population. I started to see that privilege in and of itself was isolating and that privilege harmed those who were excluded from it as well as those who were in the center of it. The good news is that we as a culture, I think, are waking up to this harm. And the good news for those of us who are followers of Jesus is that Jesus shows us a way towards healing. In Mark chapter 5, there's a short story of a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And she approaches Jesus, and she reaches out for healing, but she wants to stay anonymous. She's destitute, she's suffering, she's poor. She reaches out for healing, and Jesus is not content for that healing to simply be a physical cure of her problem. And he insists on finding her. And he comes, and he looks at her face to face, and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And there's so much happening in that little moment because what Jesus is doing is he's saying healing is not just about fixing the problem. 
Healing is about restoring. Restoring this woman to herself before God, her dignity and her worth, daughter, but also restoring her publicly. She was an unclean woman. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus says to everyone around, welcome her back now. He's healing community. He's healing the religious community. He's healing her social situation and not just her as an individual. He also says to her, your faith has healed you, which is so weird because we know it's his power that healed her. But what he's saying is, you are not a passive recipient of my healing. You are an active participant in it. And Jesus does all of this with Jairus watching on. Jairus, we know, is a man and he has a name. So in those ways, he's already very different from this woman. But Jairus has also come to Jesus for healing. The other thing we know about Jairus, which Mark mentions three times, and in the Bible, that's kind of like underlining and starring and circling something. He mentions three times that Jairus is the synagogue ruler. So here we have the synagogue ruler, the leader of the religious community, the one who presumably had told this woman, you can't be here with us. He's witnessing this healing and this restoration. And we might expect that Jesus is going to rebuke Jairus because Jesus is on the side of the powerless. He's on the side of the marginalized. He's on the side of the oppressed. And what we see instead is that Jesus is there to heal Jairus too. Jesus is there to heal the powerless and the powerful, to heal the privileged and the marginalized. I mentioned that town where I grew up in North Carolina, and I've been in touch with a woman there named Missy. She's a white woman in her uh, late 60s, and a couple of years ago, she became concerned about the violence in their town after a young African-American boy was shot and killed. And she was out on the playground one day, and she introduced herself to a black woman named Tanya, and they were pushing their children and grandchildren on the swing together. And Missy said, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the next day, she got a letter from Tanya, and it said, here's what you can do. And Missy said, I'm not an activist. And so she took that letter, and she put it in the bottom of a pile of papers, and she ignored it for as long as she could. But eventually, she took that letter out, and she did the first thing, which was call the chief of police. And now, a few years later, Missy and Tanya, together in conjunction with the chief of police in their town, have gathered a group of black and white women and men to pray. They pray once a month in various parts of their town for protection against violence and for healing of their community. And they've started to talk about a prison reentry program, and they've started to talk about school reform, and they've started to come together as friends and as brothers and sisters in Christ to see healing in their town. We see a pattern in that story in Mark 5, and we see a pattern in that little example of a town in North Carolina of people who are acknowledging harm, being willing to admit the harm that has been done and confess it, and then people who reach out for help, for help to Jesus, for help to one another, and then who say, yeah, I'm going to participate in healing. And that's the invitation for all of us, no matter where we are, as individuals, as institutions, north, south, local communities, schools, churches, to acknowledge the harm that has been done and to confess it, to reach out for help, 
and then to do the messy, slow, and loving work of God's healing, participating in God's healing in a broken world. Thank you. Well, as always, I hope you were not only challenged by that, but inspired to think about how are you going to be responsible with any of the privilege that you've been given. And I also want to invite you, if you like this talk, if you, you know, we don't all love being challenged all the time, but I tell you what, when you come to a Q conference, that's what happens. 35 to 40 talks every year. April 22nd to 24th is the next one. So if you've ever been to Q or never been to Q, this is your moment to make the decision to come be with us. Come gather with people who are thinking about these kinds of topics, trying to wrestle with them and figure out how does it apply to my life, my organization, my institution, my church, my family, my neighborhood, my city, my community. We want to apply the things that we're learning. And you do that best in person, not just from listening to the podcast, not just consuming content, but by being with other people who are creating, who are thinking about how does this manifest in our culture today. Gabe, if I could interject, I've been following the growing list of speakers and topics at qideas.org slash 2020, and truly, no topic is off the table. Your friend Preston Sprinkle from the Center from Faith, Sexuality, and Gender will be back. Edward Sandoval from World Vision, David French, and so many others. Plus, I love the fact you got a couple of pre-conference gatherings, one for church leaders and one for city leaders. Uh, that will be a great lead-up to the conference itself. This is going to be our largest queue yet. It continues to gain momentum. It takes place in Nashville, downtown, Music City Center. We're creating experiences. We're partnering with Sundance this year. The executive director of Sundance is going to be with us at Q, featuring several films and short films. We're talking about how faith intersects with film. We're going to have musicians and artists, amazing dinners and meals. I mean, talks, conversations, Q&As, breakouts, you name it, it's happening. We're trying to create the space where you can actually talk about these ideas with other thoughtful Christians who care a lot about how is our faith going forward, especially in a season where a lot of people are pretty skeptical about faith and they're specifically skeptical about Christianity. So how are we going to be different? How are we going to model the truth and the faithfulness of what Christ has called us to be in this culture, but also walk forward and form smart understanding and discerning about how can hope and joy and love show up in a culture where so many people have so many questions and aren't necessarily getting the answers from the church that they need. And so join us at Q2020, April 22nd and 24. Invite some friends. Invite somebody from across the country. You don't get to see much. Have them meet you there. But take advantage of this and learn more at qideas.org slash 2020. And I hope to see you there. This program is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.